<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody Award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Hello, everybody. Great to have you with us for this edition of The Great America Show, dedicated to truth, justice, and the American way. Interesting times in which we live. The need for independent, objective journalism has never been greater. Even the left in America has moved further left and far more committed to ever larger government and uh, authoritarianism throughout our society. It brings us to the subject of one James O'Keefe. He's the leader of Project Veritas, an organization dedicated to truth uh, in America, uh, particularly American politics. Investigative journalist, uh, he is a young man who's been committed to journalism for most of his life. Uh, you know him primarily from his exploits as a video journalist, undercover journalism. His brand of journalism has produced great stories and great public service. And by the way, it doesn't get better than that for anyone who calls himself or herself a journalist. Whether it's the famous ACORN expose that James led, that in the Obama administration, it brought down a, a national, nationwide community organizing group that was far, far more than that. And James will be here to tell us all about that. Or the undercover expose of ABC News anchor Amy Rovac telling people in the studio her bosses had spiked her report on pedophile multimillionaire Jeffrey Epstein. Well, here with us now is James O'Keefe, who has authored a brand new book, and it is called, it's one of my favorite titles, uh, James, American Muckraker. Rethinking Journalism in the 21st Century. It's great to have you with us. Uh, what are your thoughts as uh, uh, as a uh, as a, a video journalist, an undercover investigative journalist, uh, as we look out on this uh, body politic and our society so riven uh, with corruption uh, and uh, and and an absolute climate of fear in too many quarters of our country. Well, Lou, this, this book took me about five years to write, and it was uh, a collection of, of, of stories from people, from a glimpse into guerrilla reporting as seen by the muckrakers who defend press freedom in a brave new world of video journalism. How do we define muckraker? I know that's something that you referred to yourself or others referred to you when you got started in your profession. I think a muckraker or an investigative reporter is one who makes public disclosures who publicizes things that powerful people do not want published for the wrong reasons. And often today, journalism has become too much about relaying information from established figures that they want published. So acting as ombudsman or spokespeople for the government, running towards the people with a, with a megaphone, amplifying what people in government tell them. And corporations too. You have um, pharmaceutical companies now are just completely in harmony with, with the paper of record. And that, and that don't take my word for it. 
you know, it's self-evident in the commercial breaks on these new stations. So there's a lot of things that I write about in this book, economics, uh, privacy, deception, litigation, suffering, you know, is a theme that is throughout the book because it does require sacrifice to tell the truth. So we need to really have a reckoning about journalism and, and who we're allowed to do journalism and the rights of citizens to do journalism, which is something that is written about extensively in this book, American Muckraker. Well, as, as you know, uh, journalism done best is, is tough sledding. It's awful hard work. Uh, there are not many people who are interested in the hard work of journalism. It's one of the disappointing things to me and uh, uh, my craft as an advocacy journalist uh, practicing in cable news for many years. Uh, young people would walk through the door. They'd want to be a television star. They didn't want to have to be, uh, you know, getting their hands dirty and digging, uh, digging through the research and producing great stories and great exposés. Uh, what, what do you think of the quality of the people coming out of schools uh, in, in this country right now and their preparation to join, for crying out loud, 90% of the jobs are corporate media jobs. Uh, and by that, I mean the cable news networks, the broadcast network news divisions, as well as newspapers and, and websites. Well, I, I, I don't know what they're teaching in journalism schools. I, I would quote the late Mike Wallace, who said, you learn more on three months on the job than you do in a journalism school. I think you would back that statement up. I certainly learned how to do it. I started a newspaper at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey, and I would do local reporting, like how much my professors were making or right. you know, the ratio of political party in, in the history department. I would walk up to professors with a microphone. I learned a lot. I learned by doing. And I think there's a lot of good people that try to go into the field, but I would reference this, this uh, chapter in this book, American Muckraker, about whistleblowers like Kerry Porch, who said that his dream had become a nightmare when he worked, when he went worked for CNN, or Patrick Davis, a 25-year veteran of the network. He was the director of, of field operations, the manager of field operations, saying, quote, I hate what we have become, unquote. He yeah. said that he did not know that he was being recorded. So there's a lot of good people that, that think they're getting into a profession that wants to tell the truth, quote, without fear or favor, to quote the New York Times, regardless of party or sex, uh, uh, sex or factions. But what they uncover is that everything they thought they knew about the world turns out not to be true. And the qualities it takes, the, the type of person it takes to do this work, you're right. You can't do it for fame. You know, you don't want to do it for fame. And if, and if you are doing it for fame, you're going to be sorely uh, uh, humbled because all of these organizations that have the power to humiliate you, the, the tech, uh, uh, Washington Post, New York Times oligarchy. And by the way, the New York Times is very powerful by virtue of the fact that Twitter, Instagram, Google, and Facebook prefer that news in their algorithm, that power is given to them by the tech companies. By that news, you're referring to left-wing propaganda. I'm referring to what they refer to themselves as <laughs> articles, news articles are preferred by the tech algorithms. Mm -hmm. and, and if Lou Dobbs tweets out something, that's not as preferred in the algorithms as if a national security report at the New York Times. Well, let's go, let's go, to, a, let's go to a couple of words you use. One is you use the word oligarch. We don't hear many people use that word in this country. That's reserved for billionaires in uh, Ukraine, uh, Russia, Europe, uh, even Asia. 
uh, we, we refer sort of deferentially, not sort of deferentially, uh, uh, we, it's often used in a, the most servile of manner uh, by journalists. They talk about billionaires as if they are uh, somehow God's gift to society instead of uh, an oligarch, which is what they really are. And when you talk about big tech, you talk about social media, you talk about the business roundtable, the Chamber of Commerce and Wall Street, you're talking about oligarchs who have an agenda that has very little to do with American uh, interests, whether foreign or domestic. Well, and the oligarchy effectively, the newspapers have been decimated. When you got your start in journalism, there were newspapers. I mean, I read about this in my research. The Chicago Sun-Times was a famous muckraking newspaper in Chicago. And yeah. they did this, you think that I'm elaborate with our undercover stuff. They did this thing where they bought a bar in 1977, I believe, and they called it the Mirage. And the journalists uh, uh, got jobs as bartenders and covertly photographed everything. And they, they thank that they, got, they did that. It was a quite elaborate deception, but it uncovered some amazing findings. They, they caught city inspectors bribing, beginning bribe. They, they caught people being paid off. And, and, and it really reformed the city of Chicago. And maybe if we had that stuff being exposed, Chicago wouldn't be in the situation it's in. But something changed, you know, in the decades since. I think that people were reluctant to do that. I think that people, for a couple of reasons, I think economics, it's too expensive to do that type of reporting. Litigation, we saw that with ABC versus Foodline in 1992 when they were sued, when ABC News was sued by Foodline Grocery mm -hmm. after ABC News recorded uh, some things. They got jobs at the grocery store. Now, ABC News won that lawsuit on appeal, but it really deterred uh, corporations from spending the money uh, and oftentimes, investigative reporting is a lost leader on a company's balance sheet. You don't even really make money doing this. It's very expensive. And you often lose profit doing it. That's why we're a nonprofit. It's and why Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. Uh, it, it is why Disney owns ABC News. Uh, it, you go through this. They're the only companies with that kind of concentrated economic power uh, who can afford uh, the at least the pretense of journalism. Uh, there are exceptions. Uh, there are some good uh, people within that organization, but overall, corporate media uh, is a hack's paradise uh, and a place where you will either carry out the company line or you will be carried out, as they say. Yeah, it's it's um, it's definitely something that I've thought a lot about, and um, I, I think there's a there's a lot of I, I spent so much time wrestling with the ethics of what we do and the, the, the rub on yeah. us is that we're, you know, we're criminals, we're, we, we, we're scum, we, we, we break the law. It's, well, I, there was more ethics in this book. There's more self-introspection in this book about where the boundaries are on what we do than any textbook in journalism in America. And it's forged through experience. It's not. Well, let's get to the yeah. let's get to the fun of journalism too, because it is, sure. after all, it's not a profession. You don't have to have an uh, a, a, an MD, a PhD, to be a journalist or to understand journalism. It's about telling stories and reporting facts and bringing truth when possible, but never dedicating yourself to truth. Dedicate yourself to the facts, and you'll find the truth. Right. So, why don't we talk about that great exploit? And, uh, and that's Acorn. How is it that you brought down? Uh, in large measure, you, uh, uh, Acorn, 
uh, in the Obama administration, when community organizing was at its height, a, a much sought after uh, label uh, for anyone who wanted to work uh, in, in politics. Particularly, I mean, it, was, it was an amazing story that is hard to believe as truth is stranger than fiction. I got a message from a girl on Facebook. This was 12 years ago. I had just come off fresh exposing Planned Parenthood in California. And, and I just, this young woman I never met before met, traded some messages on Facebook and said, what if you went into Acorn as a, as a, as a prostitute? Sort of like a secret shopper. You'd go in there and say you want to start a prostitution business. And I replied by saying, hey, there should probably be a pimp with this with this faux hooker. And then I said, well, are you willing to go in there? And she said, yes, she was 20 years old. We had no money. We had no organization, really. I mean, I had done some things, but I was broke. And we just drove around Baltimore, DC, New York, Brooklyn. And we recorded all these government workers. They were getting money from the government. They were an organization that was allocated 5 billion in the stimulus plan. And we presented ourselves as criminals, as people who had underage hookers. And they counseled us, they gave us tax advice on how to disguise the hookers on our tax forms. And it was so shocking. I mean, these tapes are, are something like, you know, Borat meets 60 Minutes. It was just absolutely shocking. It, it, and, and after the tapes came out, the media, this was a, an education for me. This is, again, September of 2009. The media, particularly CNN, said, well, these are just isolated incidents. And then the next day we would release another tape. And then they would say, well, that's just two. And then the next day we release a third tape. So we had to fight the media. And for me, it was like, why are you guys, why are you attacking me? Like, well, aren't we supposed to be on the same team? I mean, if government people are doing something wrong, is it your allegiance to President Obama, who was an attorney for ACORN? The New York Times had spiked their front page story well, you know about it was. ACORN. You know it was. There's, there's but, no but, speculation about it now. But, but Congress it was exactly that. Congress defunded Acorn within a week of these exposures, and and the Senate voted 83 to seven to cut off the funding. This the Senate was then controlled by Democrats, which is unthinkable today. But I think it was a, a case where Obama and uh, his allies in politics wanted to distance themselves from what was being found out. And it was the Abu Ghraib of the Great Society. It was a terrible indictment on. Journalism, John Stewart of The Daily Show, who's far less partisan than Trevor Noah now is, even John Stewart said, Where the hell, I'm quoting him, where the hell were you, journalists? Why does it take these two kids with a camcorder to do what you should be doing? And that really is the thing. They have to attack me because our very existence is an indictment against them. Well, it, it, it certainly is. And uh, it, it's been great, to, you know, to me, it's been great fun. Uh, the Jeffrey Epstein uh, story, uh, the Amy Roback story uh, at ABC, <laughs> announcing for all the world uh, that, uh, you know, the bosses had spiked the story on Epstein. Uh, what was, uh, tell us about that and, and, and how that played out. Well, this was an amazing, amazing story. The Amy Robach is the anchor for Good Morning America, and she has a lav mic on, the little microphone on your lapel, and she was talking during a commercial break. This is not on the air. And, and we had a source within ABC News that gave us a copy of that recording. And this woman, this, this, she's a blonde woman that works at ABC News. Uh, in the morning, she's bemoaning the fact that her corporate bosses told her they wouldn't run the Epstein story because, to quote Amy Robach, they wanted to protect Bill Clinton and Andrew in the British royal family. 
right. they say, well, we, we don't want to, we don't want to uh, burn our sources with Kate and Will, <laughs> you know, because the ABC news is too busy cozying up again, to quote Amy Robach, cozying up to these people rather than investigating them. And this is very credible tape. It's, it's, it's actually one of the most amazing pieces of footage you'll ever see because right. these anchors present themselves one way. And then in the commercial break, they're just, they're just letting it all loose. And this clip was so powerful that it, it forced people who don't like Project Veritas to praise Project Veritas. We had a lot of people that attack us that were like, whoa, look at this piece of footage. And it was presented to us, Lou, by an insider within ABC News, who, by the way, Lou, that person still works for ABC News. We protected that person's identity. And it's an incredible story of whistleblowing and also, obviously, the Jeff Epstein story, which was spiked, which was canceled yeah. by corporate ABC News. Well, and again, just further illustration of the commitment by corporate media, corporate news media. It's not to the story. It's to protecting the access uh, and the, the company line. I, I want to turn to right now. Uh, what, is, what is Project Veritas' standing now? Because you, you speak sometimes rather defensively, James, about being hated and reviled. And I know that you've got a lot of scars because we're always, all of us, no matter what, uh, the walk of life, we're victims as well as beneficiaries of our experience. But don't you sense that Veritas is now highly regarded, well-respected, uh, and is the subject of considerable gratitude for the service you've provided uh, all of us over the course of these years? That's a great question. The first chapter of this book is called Suffering, or rather the preface is called Suffering. And I think to be a journalist or to be any type of truth teller, you do have to suffer. But I also believe that you're going to suffer no matter what you do, because if you don't follow your conscience, if you don't tell the truth, you'll suffer in a different way. Yeah. And I think that, and, and Laura Logan, a friend of mine, once said to me, and I've written this in this book, that um, yes, you, you go through a lot of hell. I mean, I've been incarcerated. I've been sued. I've been vindicated, obviously, but I had the FBI raid my home in November. I've not been charged with any crimes, but this form of intimidation, it, you do kind of enter this period of grief and uncertainty. And, and it, for at least a little while, you go through a lot of inconvenience and pain. And, but I think that that engenders trust with people. People come to me and come to our reporters that work here because they trust us. And we don't settle lawsuits, even though it costs us a ton of money. I think the muckraker has to be prepared to suffer. It's a prerequisite for growth. It compels transformation and self-reflection. And if you continue going after you go through this, you send a message to other people that they can do it too. I've become too well-known, but um, there's a vision here where there's thousands of these muckrakers that come out and, and so two becomes four and four becomes eight. And the same experiences that tortured you do engender trust with those people and they continue to do it. And it's really an amazing thing to witness. And I don't, and I think Lou, you're right. I think that when, after the FBI raid, it actually kind of strangely helped us because the guy that came to us uh, last week with these documents inside the department of defense never would have given us those documents had it not been for all these attacks on us by these powerful forces. See, one of the things that I, uh, James, that surprised me over the past five years with the Trump administration, uh, President Trump was the subject of FBI investigations before he was elected. 
uh, and now the subject of further legal persecution throughout. Do you know, I don't know of a single whistleblower who stood up in either the Justice Department, the FBI, uh, the Department of Defense, the National Security Apparatus. I don't know of a single, single whistleblower who had the guts to stand up against the deep state. Do you? Well, you just raised the most important issue. I, I, I know sources inside the Justice Department, and a lot of them take an oath. For example, the Marine Corps major that pro pro provided the, I'm sorry, he did not provide the documents to me, but he, he issued an on-the-record statement to us. Mm -hmm. um, this is Joe Murphy, Marine Corps fellow at DARPA. What he told me was there are good people inside, and I believe him, that are trying to reform the institutions from within. Yeah, I, I don't believe far. them, James. I got to stop you right there, interrupt you. You know, the first job of a journalist is to be skeptical. I've heard that the FBI is full of good people. I've heard that there are a lot of people in the Pentagon who care deeply about this country and have committed themselves to service in uniform. And God bless them and thank them for that. But the fact that no one stands up for truth within that organization, we fight long wars, 21 years in Afghanistan, a third world country, and what we get is what we saw as President Biden ordered a, a, a surrender and instant retreat. Uh, I don't think good people will put up with that. Uh, I don't think that, uh, you know, good people do the right thing, whether it's coming to you with the story, whether it's uh, understanding that ours is a craft and you have to work and you have to dig and you have to hit ethical uh, standards and boundaries that you honor and respect. Uh, it's just, it's about good people. And good people do good things. They don't sit in silence while people are persecuted for five years. I think your point is very valid. And I write about this extensively in the book. I think people fear losing their pensions, right? I mean, the, the tenant, I mean, you're talking to a man who was raided by the FBI. And I, I think that half of the people who were in that, my apartment that morning are not bad people, but I think you're right. I think they're scared. I think they're afraid of giving up their pensions and their mortgages, blah, blah, blah. And effectively, as Americans, we have to ask ourselves, what are we willing to sacrifice? Because well, they, living... apparent, they apparently will sacrifice anything. Uh, when you stand and will allow a good, innocent, and everyone in that bureau knew that the president of the United States had done nothing with which he was charged. And to let him uh, go forward in an impeachment effort that was absolutely scurrilous on the part of the Dems and to continue to kiss their butts uh, and grovel as agents of the FBI tells me we don't have an FBI. We have people who are, you know, they're sitting simply uh, sucking at the public trough. What so we do have 120,000 people who work at the Department of Justice, and I'm and I'm calling on people to blow the whistle, and 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 I think they will, Lou. I'm a little more hopeful. I, it's horrible what has happened. I'm not about I'm not about hope, and I and I am about the facts. And the facts are that they haven't stood up and not one single person stepped forward. And that is a blight on the FBI that from which I don't know that they can ever recover. It's not just their own corruption. It's their cowardice. Uh, these are people defending the country for crying out loud. Uh, it, it's it to me is just appalling. Well, I am I, I agree with you and I, I hope we do something about it. 
The stories in this book, American Muckraker, show people who do and lose their livelihoods but survive. There's life after whistleblowing. Um, and I, I just hope more people can come out, just read their stories and understand what it's going to take because we, we hopefully we can prevent society's collapse with, with truth tellers. Well, we'll do our part, but uh, people have to actually do uh, and not simply say. Uh, and that is uh, the reason we all need to stand up when we're challenged. And the one good thing about being in this craft is, uh, by God, you find out whether or not you've got the guts to tell the truth. And to, and to suffer the consequences, because there are always consequences. Uh, you and I both know it from personal experience. And I thank you for doing so uh, throughout your career, James. The book is American Muckraker, and that is James O'Keefe in Project Veritas. We recommend the book to you highly. James, thanks for being with us today. Stay strong, my friend. Thank you, Lou. Talk soon. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.